Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you all. Uh, I just want to reiterate what uh, Shannon and Miranda said, just a thank you to um, so many of our volunteers, amazing people that uh, make Washington what it is, and I'm so grateful for you. We talk about you guys all the time at staff, how grateful we are for you and, and uh, the work that you do, and, and uh, so just thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning, so if you want to open your Bibles um, up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to get there in a couple of minutes, but you can join me in, in reading God's Word together. As we continue uh, having this conversation that we started last week. So what, what I want to do is do a little bit of um, back up and, and get a running start into this morning. And last week we talked about uh, that, that God kind of set a pattern for this idea of giving in the Old Testament and what he required of his people. And we get that word tithe from um, this Hebrew word, and that's what it means, a tenth of something. And, and so what I want to do is kind of go over just briefly what we talked about last week. I'll put it up on the screen so we can all look at it together and just be reminded. So number one, to, why does God ask his people to tithe, to, to give God's people a profound way of viewing their things, to show the world that they were different? And it's so important that, that those around, God wanted the people um, around the, the Holy Land to know that, that he was different and how he ruled his people and provided for his people was going to be different than any, any other culture had experienced. Uh, number two, to honor God for what God has given to you with your best. He, that's what he required. He required of his people that they would give their best to him or their first fruits, the first that came forward. Um, next, we talked about he wanted to create a system for God to care for poor and needy in the land. Uh, the tithe, part of that tithe went to care for those who were in need. And also, part of that tithe went to the priests so they could conduct worship services for God's people so that God's people could come and worship him. And so that was a part of it. And then finally, to create a way uh, for you to be in awe of God and watch the Lord bless you. And there was a direct correlation between how Israel gave in their obedience and what the Lord gave back to them. And so that's what we talked about last week. And I'm going to come back to this and refer to it as to why this is crucial and how that... had made its way into the New Testament church and how it affected how the New Testament church saw their understanding of what it meant to give back to God. So that's, that's what we want to do this morning, um, as kind of lay that foundation. And we're only spending two weeks on this in this series on, on spiritual disciplines. I think it's important to touch on this. And, and again, I, I shared last week that I haven't taught on this for a long time, uh, but it's important for us to have a biblical understanding of this. So let me share this with you. I spent Tuesday and Wednesday, which are my sermon prep, so Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning, um, I usually spend as much time as I can on the message and getting ready and daily quiet time material and all those things. And so I was working my way through, through 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and that verse came to me in there. It's probably one you've heard of. It talks about the fact that God loves a, a joyful giver or a cheerful giver. And so I used that kind of as a frame, and I began to, to expand on that and look at the verses that came before that and came after that, and they're amazing. It's an amazing passage. So 
I'd really encourage you, if, if, uh, if you do the daily quiet time, you get to go through that this week. If you don't do the daily quiet time, uh, we can send that to you uh, via email. You just write it on your connection card, send me the daily quiet time, and spend some time in that passage. So I worked through that passage, translated all these words, formulated all these thoughts, and, and I have to say, I think it was really good. Um, and then I got to Thursday morning, and the Lord's like, that's not what I want you to talk about. I was like, really? I, I literally, hours and hours and hours of work. And he's like, no, I, there's something else our people need to hear. My people need to hear. So this, this is what I'm going to share with you this morning that I feel like the Lord wants to, to impart to us around this idea of, of our finances specifically. But really, it's, it's broad. It's, it's, it's everything that we have. Um, and, I'll, and I'll caveat it with this. It's not going to be easy to hear. And uh, as I was sitting here last night, late last night I was here, and I was just praying through it and, and just... So, I'll say this, um, for some of you, the message is going to be five minutes long, because at the end of that five minutes, you're going to stop listening to me. When we get to communion, I'll wake you back up and, and invite you to the table, um, because it's going to be challenging. And so I, I, I'm letting you know ahead of time, it's going to be challenging, it's going to push some buttons, but, but nothing I'm going to say doesn't come from the scriptures and from God's word, so I'll just say it that way. Are we all, are we okay? Are you with me? All right. Again, I say these things in love, but I think this is what the Lord wants us to hear this morning. Our ability to give or not give has almost nothing to do with our understanding of giving. I could take you through passage after passage. We could do a 20 weeks sermon series on giving and tithing, and it wouldn't affect you if your heart wasn't in the right place, if you weren't open to it. It has everything to do with whether or not Jesus is the Lord of your life. That's what it comes down to. Okay? We surrender our lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we get that. We hear this. But, but hear me out. <clears throat> the first part of Savior, I think we, we understand uh, enough to, to surrender our lives to Jesus. What does that mean to, to look at Jesus as Savior? Well, Jesus is, is, the, is the Savior of the world. Okay? God sent his son Jesus, God sent himself in the, in the person of Jesus, who came, lived among us as a human being, uh, laid down his life, uh, died and was resurrected on the third day so that he could conquer sin and death. And in doing so, made a way for us to be made right with God. Right? And if we give our lives to Christ, we express that, we hand ourselves over to, to God, and we believe that Jesus is who he says he was, we are saved. Right? And saved has, has a, a lot of connotations to it. It's layer upon layer upon layer. This idea of salvation comes into play. But we are made right with God in that moment. Our sins are forgiven. Right? And we know where we spend eternity with, with the Lord in heaven. Okay? Which eventually actually comes here. And it's, it's the book of Revelation. Heaven and earth become one. Um, but, that's, but we know that. And so we're sealed in Christ, through Christ, by the blood of Christ. All that is taken care of. Right? That is Jesus' Savior. And we'd all say, yay, amen, right? Okay. Now, what does it look like to talk about Jesus as Lord? Because that also is, is a part, and, and Paul talks about this all the time. He uses that phrase, Jesus is Lord, or the Lord, comes up over and over again. That word is kurios in the Greek. The idea was, was and it came from this idea that, that uh, a person would rule over a region or an area, 
And if you lived in that region, in that area, you were subservient to that Lord. And whatever the Lord asked of you, you gave. And whatever the Lord wanted of you, you provided. Why? Because the Lord provided protection over you and saw you as his people. And so he, he watched over you. So it's about power. It's about authority. It's about exercising that authority and control. Okay? They are charged under the possession as an owner. That's what a Lord does. The Lord is charged under, uh, with the possession because they pos- the Lord is the one who possesses something. They are the owner of something, and they have the authority over that thing. When we give our lives to Christ... Jesus is, is to become our Lord. That means we are subservient to, to Jesus in that way as Lord over every aspect of our life. You tracking with me? Does that make sense? Okay? All right. Second, Paul talks about this in, in 2 Corinthians 4 5 to give you some examples. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay? And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. When, when Paul uses his term Lord, that's what he has in mind. That we are literally submitted, all of who we are, to the person of Jesus. And through that, our lives are radically transformed. Not just our salvation, but we are in the process of being made holy, which is actually called sanctification. What the theologians call sanctification. Okay? So we got all that. So the real question becomes... The same person that you're willing to wager your eternity on as Savior in Jesus, can you also trust him with your finances as Lord? Let me say that again. The real question becomes, the same person that you're willing to wager your eternity on as Savior in Jesus, can you also trust him with your finances as Lord? If you can trust him with your soul, but not your finances, this he is your Savior, but he is not yet your Lord. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah? That's a really, really hard teaching. Thank you, Lord, for what you have to say to us this morning. But it's true. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. So Peter is, is talking to this church, and he's trying to get them to understand, you need to allow your hearts to be transformed in such a way that you see Jesus as Lord, not just Jesus as Savior. And those are crucial things. And that word that he, he uses there is revere also means to render, acknowledge, to separate apart from the profane or the common things, to consecrate or to dedicate. So literally dedicate your heart unto Jesus as your Lord. Surrender everything that you have over to him. Everything. Including your finances. Your children, your relationships, your job, your friendships. Everything. Everything. Everything that you have is to be surrendered to Jesus as Lord. And that is a lifelong process. I get it. It doesn't happen in an instant. I wish it did. But there's also our will that has to be conformed into that and to to surrendered over that, and our mind has to be renewed in that. As a follower of Jesus, you don't get to pick or choose what you want to surrender to God and what you don't want to surrender to the Lord. It all goes or you are are simply not following a faith, but a salvation. And if that's the case, and again, this sounds really harsh, but it's true, if it's only about salvation, then really it's a selfish act on our part. Because all we want is something out of that relationship. And actually not a relationship anymore, it's just a, a take. And any relationship has a give and take in it. And so we get to receive this gift by the grace of God, which includes our salvation, But in exchange, we have to give our whole entire life over to the Lord, to see Jesus as Lord. Does that make sense? 
You guys tracking with me? I know, this is heavy stuff. And again, it does, doesn't just, it's not only just your money. It's everything that you are. See, the early church had this radical perspective when it came to giving and, and came to viewing their stuff. Okay, the earlier followers of Jesus, they didn't practice tithing. Remember, I told you last week that the tithing goes out the window because tithing was a template that was set up for them, but, but as soon as the Spirit descends at Acts 2, it radically shifts everything. And all those rules and regulations that they were following after, that some of them were looking to for life or, or just wanting to be obedient to God, it, Jesus like built on that as he taught them, but when the Spirit of God comes and indwells them, they, they begin to see things differently. They begin to function differently and act differently. I'll, I'll give you an example. Acts chapter 4, and we've, you've probably read this if you've been in the church a while, but this is radical. This, these are radical acts that these people are engaging in. It's because God is leading them in this way and because Jesus is Lord of their life. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Again, there's that idea of curios. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them. Next slide. There we go. That there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. We are like way beyond a tithe at this point, right? Like light years beyond giving 10% of what you have. People are literally liquidating their properties and laying them at the feet of the apostles and saying, do what you will with this. The only way that happens is if a heart is radically transformed by the movement of God, period. People don't just do that. And the people that we see give extravagantly in our culture, it's out of excess usually. It's not out of like the totality of what they have. And so something happened to this group of people that professed Jesus as Lord and Savior. It radically shifted and changed them, changed the way they thought, changed the way they acted. But really at the end of the day, it was because they had surrendered their heart to Jesus as Lord. And they were willing to do whatever, whatever was needed. And so this idea of a tenth was gone. But here's the beautiful thing about having an understanding of, of what the Old Testament has to say about giving and what the Lord required. And that's why I started with what I started with. As you look at that, you begin to see that how they functioned and how they acted didn't come out of nowhere, right? This radical action of giving and generosity wasn't just birthed out of nothingness. It was born out of generation after generation of being obedient to the Lord and giving a tenth of what they had. So when, the, when all of these people gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit descended, it like intensified what had, what, the foundation that had already existed. Does that make sense? So it's, it's not like they went from giving nothing to all of a sudden they were radical, generous givers. They went from living in a culture where God said, I want you to, to hold your things with open hands and entrust me with the best of what you had. If you do that, then I will give back to you and I will bless you. And they lived that way. And then Pentecost came and everything shifted and that mentality intensified and then they lived out of that place. And that's how they functioned as the early church. And somewhere along the way that got lost and we ended up where we are, back kind of in that act of like, okay, well, what do I have to do mentality? 
Well, this idea of tenth is there. Okay, well, let, let's do the tenth thing. And that's kind of how the church now operates as a whole. And that's, that's where the idea comes from. So the, actually the idea of, of giving as, as a tithe is an Old Testament idea that was dragged into the New Testament church age, where we are now in 2023. But really, what God is asking is, is for it to look like the early church. We're holding things in a much different way than we usually hold things. It was a radical act of great openness that only came through an ability to trust and surrender that Jesus was not only Savior, but Lord of their life, their entire life. When you begin to step into this place of Jesus being the Lord of your life, things begin to shift and change. You stop worrying about things so much because you begin to trust God with them. Why? Because God tells us not to worry about those things. The more you learn to trust, the more you surrender. The more you surrender, your mentality begins to change. From this belongs to me, and I deserve it because I earned it, to the Lord gave this to me. Thank you for honoring me and trusting me with it. Lord, what do you want me to do with it next? And you begin to get excited about how you can give it back to him. And you go from this idea of a tithe. So again, this is, I'm, a, I'm telling you I'm going to offend you right now. So heads up. The idea of a tithe, giving 10%, is like entry-level Christianity. It's the base. It's, it's not maturity. It's like the minimum we're supposed to do. And I have absolutely no idea what any of you give, because I'm not mature enough to know, to handle that. So I don't look. I don't ask. I don't look. I, I just trust that to the, to the Lord. And that was, one of the, <clears throat> that was one of the conversations that God and I had when I said yes to this role. I said, Lord, you've got to take care of that. Because I, I I'm not mature enough to deal with it, and I don't have time to deal with it. And that's how it's been. Washington has been amazing, and you guys have been faithful givers. But I can tell you, the average person in America doesn't tithe. They don't tithe. Okay? Again, that's the bottom. That's kindergarten-level Christianity is the idea of tithing. Radical generosity, that's, that's maturity. And you go, wherever you're at, you are with the Lord, that's between you and the Lord. And I'm always here to walk with you through it or have conversations with you through it or have, let's open the scriptures and look at what God is inviting you into. But I can tell you, I had to work really hard and God had to change my heart to get to that place. And, I'll, and I'll, I started to tell you a little bit about our story um, and our story, but let me tell you, the whole, whole picture. I can remember being in church growing up. My parents were, were believers. We were there every Sunday. I actually don't know what my parents gave. They never involved me in that process. So I'll give you a hint. <clears throat> if you uh, are a parent and you have a young kid and they're old enough to understand the idea of giving in some way, so like three, four, five, involve them in your giving. Let them in. Let them know what you give. You don't need to give like numbers but, or percentages, however you decide to do it. Here's why. Teach them about tithing. Teach them about giving. Teach them about radical generosity. Why? Because you will be held accountable like nobody's business by your kids. I remember when my parents did this thing where we had three jars. I think they were baby food jars, and they set them out, and my dad gave me three of them. One was for, for giving to the church, one for the tithe. One was for saving, and the other one was, was for spending. And I got an allowance, and I had to, I had to divvy up my allowance into those jars. I, and again, I, I can't tell you if my mom and dad did that in their own life, but they wanted to teach that to me, and so I remember doing that, and that has stuck with me. 
But when I got old enough, probably in my teens, and my parents, I didn't have a job. My parents would give me money, um, and I, I shared this with you last time, um, and that money was for food, going out and eating with my friends. That's, that, that was the extent of my expenses that I had to pay for, and again, my parents paid for everything else, which I'm so thankful for. Um, I'm realizing it now more and more how thankful I am for that. Um, but when it came to giving, I didn't, I, I stopped. The baby jar thing got lost, kind of covered with dust. And I would give randomly from time to time. I would look at what I had in my wallet and I would even, if I felt so convicted, I would just give it all or I would not bring money with me so I wouldn't give it away. That was my method of giving. But what I did is I reasoned in my mind that if I gave of my time, that was sufficient. And so I justified that based on, on, I don't know what actually, just my own conversation with myself, that that was enough. So I served in the church. Whatever church I was a part of, I served. And I said, well, that's my time. I'm giving my time. And that's good. That's important. I'm not putting that down whatsoever, but that's not what the scriptures talk about when it comes to, to giving financially. So later on, get married, early 20s, we're moving to seminary to study to be uh, a pastor, ironically enough. And um, at that time, um, Ann and I moved up. We were six hours away from uh, our families. We lived in the, the San Francisco Bay Area, not a cheap place to live. And um, Ann ended up, ended up getting a job as a social worker, and, and I think we qualified for, for poverty, basically. Um, it was not hard. Just the two of us, we lived in a one-bedroom um, apartment, subsidized, thankfully, by the seminary. Otherwise, that would be like one and a half times my mortgage payment at the time now. And, uh, and I did the finances, okay? So I, my dad taught me how to balance a checkbook, and so I was in charge. She was working. I would do classes, clean up our, our tiny place we lived in, and I would write the, pay the bills and things of that nature. And <clears throat> we had literally just enough money to live on. And we went out to eat one night a week. We went to In-N-Out, and it cost us $7.50 for both of us to eat. And that's it. That's what we had. That was the excess of what we had. Okay? Oftentimes, if we wanted to travel down and see my parents in the Los Angeles area, they would give us money to travel there because we didn't have enough money, gas money to drive there ourselves. Certainly couldn't fly. So after Ann got a job, we found a, a church that we were excited about, we plugged into, we, we were faithfully committed to, and she came to me and she said, we need to tithe, we need to give 10% of our income. And I was like, sweetie, I love you, uh, but that's not possible. And she's like, no, we're doing it. And I was like, no, let me, let's, and she knew the numbers, and we sat down, we looked at it, I was like, literally, we, we can't do that, we can't. And I was like, I was like, okay. How about 2%? We could do 2%. We'd have to maybe cut out in and out, or one of us will eat and the other won't eat, uh, and we'll split the meal or something. <clears throat> More mac and cheese. And she's like, no, 10%, we're going to tithe. And I was like, okay, how about 5%? <laughs> and she's like, nope, 10%. I was like, 8% is like the absolute max we could go, and... I don't know what we're going to do. Stop buying clothes, turn off the water. I, I don't know how else to come up with any more money. Um, and she's like, no, we're doing 10%. And I, I was like, hey, well, what do you do? I was like, okay. And again, I had that mentality of like, well, I served. So at the time I served in the youth ministry. I was like, this is my tithe. And I, and I just ex 
I, that was my excuse for not giving my money away. Because I was very stingy with my money. I grew up, I didn't have a lot when I grew up in that way. My parents didn't grow up with a lot. I didn't have excess. That wasn't, a, a, I had enough, always had enough. Um, but I just didn't have excess. That wasn't a part of our culture. And I, I was fine with that. I didn't really care as a kid. It didn't bother me. So we get to it. I said, fine. <clears throat> I, you know, what do you do? Yeah, all right. Can't argue with it. You're right. It's in the scriptures. I didn't, try, I didn't have the faith to tithe. She did. I said, I'm not going to write the check, though. You have to write the check. She said, fine, I'll write the check. I was like, okay. Because I wanted to be able to say, see, when we ran out of money. You want to tithe. We don't have any money left. So she does it. Writes a check. We go to church. She puts it in the offering plate as it goes around. I was like, mm, all right, let's see how this one goes. Again, I'm in seminary studying to be a pastor and have no faith to tithe. That's where I'm at. Probably four months goes by. I'm doing the finances. Somehow we have enough money. I don't know how. She didn't make any more. She didn't get a raise. I didn't make any more as a student. And somehow we had enough. Random things would happen. We'd, I remember one time, we got a check from the government. I still can't tell you why. But we didn't return it. And we didn't, <clears throat> and we didn't ask questions. We just cashed it. And we kept going. And I remember another time, we went up to pay, um, it was our first semester, we went up to pay our tuition bill for the first semester. You know, I think tuition was like nine or $10,000 for the year, and we were paying it as we went, because that's what we can afford. So $4,500, we're, we're walking up there getting ready to write a check, and I had worked really hard before we got married to set aside money to do this. We walk up, we go into the registrar's office we, with checkbook in hand, and she, and we're sitting there, kind of like, how's this gonna go? Oh, um, or I think I was by myself. And, and then, you know, crunching the numbers on one of those calculators that like spits out paper as it's going, and you're like, oh boy. And finally she's like, okay, here, here you go, here's what you owe, and it was $450. And I was like, as fast as I could, I wrote that check, I, I gave it to her, and I walked out the door before <laughs> she could realize that there was a mistake that was made. But God provided a way every single time. So after four months of this, seeing this happen, I was like, what the heck is going on? I'd never seen God move in this way before in my life because I'd never tried. So we get, <clears throat> so she keeps, again, she's writing the checks. Maybe it was six months into it. We're sitting there. The offering plate goes around. She hands me this check and she says, you put it in. And I was like, oh, okay. Every Sunday, you put it in. Okay, you put it in. Probably, I don't know, three or four months later, I'm a slow learner. Um, again, almost a year of tithing out of what we didn't have that God faithfully continued to give to us. We're getting ready to go to church in the morning, and she says, it's, your, it's time for you to write the check. I was like, okay, you're right. So I did. And she said, you're also going to put it in the, in the offering box, play it when it comes around. Okay. And from that point on, my heart changed. It took a little over a year, I think. And ever since then, there's been no looking back. It's always, how do we do more? 
after that. After I was able to get over my fear of finances, my control of holding on to what I thought belonged to me, all of a sudden this great freedom flowed. And I was, I was able to see Jesus as, as Lord in that area of my life. And I'd never been able to do that for 20-something years of the, the first part of following after Jesus. And now it becomes, we look back now, and it's not like we have a bunch of excess, but, but we say, how much more can we give? So, so again, 10 is, is, the, is the baseline, and it's like, well, how much more? What else, what else is there? Who else needs help? How else can we bless people? It's one of the coolest things ever. And to be able to do that with our kids and in front of our kids is, is awesome. It's such a gift. It's, it's, an, it's an incredible experience. So we need to stop asking how much <clears throat> do we need or are we supposed to give and begin to ask how much do we need to keep so that we can give the rest away. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A little bit of background in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul's writing to this church, church in Corinth. This is like an unbelievable place. If you haven't read through Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians recently, and there's more letters, we know from history there's more letters than what we have in the scriptures, but these are the ones that made it in, and so this is the word of God. But <clears throat> Paul is teaching this, this group of people that are just on fire for God, but they're making all these mistakes at the same time. And I'm so grateful for that, because we learn so much because of, of their zealousness and their faithfulness to God, wanting to do the best they can, but Paul's correcting them. And they promised Paul that they would give to the ministry a gift, and they were not, weren't specific about it, we, we don't know the details, and, and Paul's writing ahead and letting them know, hey, I'm sending people to pick this up, um, can you prepare for them to arrive? And, and you can kind of see it when you study it closely, Paul's like, hey, you might want to think about it ahead of time what you're going to give, by the way, and not just have it be a random thing. And so Paul writes these words to them, and I, and I love them, because I think they're profound. It says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. Again, when Jesus is the Lord of your life, this is a heart thing, it's not a head thing. If it only stays in your head, it's, it's, you're never going to make sense of it, because it doesn't make sense. And it's not to be made sense of. Faith comes through the heart. Scriptures tell us that. The head has to come around. Uh, we, we need to align our thinking with, with our heart when it comes to our faith. But the heart has to be transformed. It's heart surgery. That's what faith is. And it's stepping out and trusting God. And what he's saying is, hey, you've got to decide in your heart what that looks like. But the beautiful thing about this and, and the Greek word that's used here is actually used in the third person, perfect middle. So it could be translated, it has been. In other, in other words, I think God is actively working on us and our hearts. We, this is not something we can do on our own. But we have to give permission for the Lord to do that work because he won't invade that space because he's kind to us in that way. It, and as soon as we open ourselves up, man, he's coming in and he's making this transformation but, but we get to push back, and our hearts get to be hard. Why? Because we can choose to do that. My heart was hardened towards giving for 20-something years until I had to learn, I had to let go, I had to surrender, I had to step into that place of faith and believe. And so that's what I think he's saying. He's like, allow the work of God to, to, 
have its way in what you decide in your heart. Because we know what the Lord wants, right? That's not a mystery. He goes on to say, uh, Paul sets up this contrast, and he does this in his writings all, all over in the books. He says, he, you know, this or that, but he says, give generously or, or sparingly. Give out of annoyance or joyfully. So he's, he's contrasting these things. Give generously, give sparingly, give out of annoyance, give, give joyfully. A couple words here that I think is insightful in the Greek. To give sparingly means with sorrow, with grief, with pain, and annoyance. I could tell you early on I gave with annoyance and with pain and with grief. It was hard for me. It wasn't a joyful experience when I put our money, which is actually God's money, into the offering plate. It was a struggle for me. But I kept at it because I had to. I didn't have a choice. Okay? It was give and stay married or... Who knows what would happen if I stopped, right? And so I kept at it, kept at it. And eventually things changed for me. And then the other side is, is the Greek word hilarios, which means joyful, cheerful, willing to do anything. And it says that God loves people who give this way. That's a pretty powerful statement. God, I mean, God loves us all. You are all loved by the Lord. But there's something the Lord loves that stirs his heart when we give generously. It shouldn't be an obligation. It should be out of joy. That should be the goal. Now, sometimes we, we work in process, right? We are a work in process, and so we have to, I had to work through the other side in order to get to, to being a joyful giver. It took me a while to do that. So I, I understand it. I get it. I'm with you if you feel that way. But eventually, the goal in our hearts should be, man, I want to feel joy when this happens. I don't want to feel annoyed. I don't want to feel reluctant. I don't want to feel obligated. I want to feel joy. And the Lord wants you to feel joy. Finally, this, 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 11. Now, he who supplies seed, and this is how Paul kind of wraps everything up, I think, in a beautiful way and helps them understand this idea of giving things away. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and, and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So here's the question. In this analogy, he's talking about sowing and seeds, and it's, it's a farming metaphor that he's using for giving. But here's the question I have for you. Where does the seed come from that makes the bread? What does Paul say? Where does the seed come from? Not a trick question from God, okay? The seed comes from God, right? And then he basically goes on to say, you, you know, he doesn't have to say it, but you plant that seed in the ground, and eventually sprouts up what is needed to make bread, and then he says, where does the bread come from? Go back to your previous answer. Where, God. So the seed comes from God, essentially what he's saying, and the bread comes from God. So everything that's needed for you to have what you need comes from the Lord. Everything that comes forth from that thing that it's needed, that it produces, also comes from the Lord. So at the end of the day, we're back to where we started in Psalm 124, which is everything starts with the Lord and ends with the Lord. You are simply a steward that it passes through. And God gives it to you and honors you with it so that you would turn around and honor him back. That's it. 
And if you can get that with your finances, you will be a joyful giver. And Jesus will be the Lord of your life in that area. But if you struggle with that along the way, so we get it. This part, the Lord gives us a seed. This part, the Lord produces the bread. And we are the vessel in between. It's from here, the giving of the seed and the producing of the bread, that the problem happens. It's not with the giver of the seed or the producer of the bread. It's the one in between. That's us. That's me. Excuse me, I'll speak for myself. So this is a good message for you to tell your friends, right? Because I know you guys are good with this. We're all on the same page. This is in case you run into another believer, you know, and you need to explain what giving generously looks like. But it's, it's this process, and I think that, that's what Paul wanted the church in Corinth to understand. He's like, guys, it comes from God. At the end of the day, the Lord's the one who's going to produce whatever is produced. It's from him too. So both things come from him. So just hold it open and lightly. And when you do that, there'll be this great thanksgiving that happens that he says, be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. There will be a thankfulness given to God. It honors God. So God is both the source and the grace behind it all. And I want to put up Psalm 24.1 again. This is where we started last week, and this is where we'll end. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. What, let's say that together. Would you join me? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. At the end of the day, that's, that's the truth. It all belongs to God. We are simply stewarding what the Lord has given us. And, and as we actively submit our lives to God, and we allow Jesus to be not only Savior, but also Lord of our lives, transformation begins to take hold of us. And it doesn't just, it's not just our finances, it's all areas of our life. These principles are the same, whatever we look at. And the younger you can figure this out, the easier it will be at the end of your life. If you can, if you can give when you have little, that's a lot easier than giving when you have a lot, actually. Because there's something that happens to us when we see bigger numbers, we think, oh, you know, if we go with the, the tithe concept, we think, oh, that's a lot to give away. But if we, if we practice this in little steps, God will meet us. I, I will tell you. Why? Because God will honor his word. Period. God will honor his word. So this is what I want to do before we, we take communion at the table together. I want to invite us to reflect on, on this idea of Jesus being Lord of our lives. And I want to, I want to give an invitation in that area. Um, and whatever that means for you, whatever area you feel like that, that needs to be surrendered or, or let go of, and Bridge is going to play music so it, it seems less awkward um, to us, but this is what I want to do. I, I want to invite you to take a step of faith this morning, and I know that, it, again, there's, people might see you, yes, yep, but what I want to do is I want to invite you to do this. I want you to, if you desire, in the area of your finances, in the area of other parts of your life, if you feel like, I want to I say this morning that I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Not just my Savior, but Lord of my life. I want to invite you to stand right now. What I want to do is I'm just going to lead you through a prayer. And, and uh, if you, 
if you believe it's true of you, I would just invite you to, to say it between you and the Lord, but I would encourage you to say it out loud and make it a real statement. And if, if it's something you feel like doesn't apply to you, that's okay. You don't need to say it. But we're just going to, we're going to, I'm just going to walk you through asking forgiveness for the areas in our lives that we have not allowed Jesus to be Lord and asking for him to, to come into those places and, and work on us so that he can be the Lord in those areas of our lives. And you know what those are between you and the Lord. Maybe it is finances or maybe it's not. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your parenting. Maybe it's friendships you have. Whatever it may be between you and the Lord. But all we're going to do is posture ourselves in such a way that we can receive whatever it is the Lord wants to say to us and to give to us before we come to the table. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite you to repeat after me. Father, thank you. <clears throat> thank you for this morning. Thank you for how much you love us. Thank you that we are your children if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you that we see you as Savior, and we believe in the eternal life that you offer us. We're so grateful for that. Lord, you call, Jesus, you call us to be Lord, to surrender our lives to you. So, Lord, we want to do that. So I want to invite you to, to join me in prayer. Just on your own, repeat back to the Lord. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for calling me your son or your daughter. Thank you for making a way to be in right relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Jesus, I thank you for being my Savior. Jesus, I thank you for calling me to see you as Lord. I repent right now of the areas in which you are not Lord of my life. And I ask that you would reveal those areas to me right now. Whatever comes forward, just hold it up to God, just between you and the Lord. And as the Lord brings forward in your mind, it might be an image, it might be a picture, it might be words that he speaks to you. Just say, Lord, forgive me for this. Lord, forgive me for this. Lord, forgive me for this. you again to repeat after me. Holy Spirit, thank you for revealing these things. Teach me how to hand them over to you 
so that Jesus may be Lord of all of my life. And I ask you to guide me and lead me in a way to make that reality true. Father, you've heard the desires of the hearts of your children. I pray that you would come and begin to do heart surgery on them, even now in this room. You would reveal what needs to be revealed, Lord. Give your people the courage to hand those things over to you so that they are not controlled by them, so they can be set free in all areas of their life and to see you as Lord and Savior. And for that, we are so eternally grateful. We thank you, Jesus, who you are our Lord and Savior. And we say these things in your name, the name above all names. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.